Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. For supporting us and, and the ministry that God is doing in Marion, Ohio. If you don't know where that's it, it is, it is the very center of what is called the heart of America. So we are in the center of the state that's called the heart of America. So um, God is doing something there, and uh, we have the privilege of being part of that. Um, Dan said I could have just a few minutes, so I'm going to make sure and just take a few minutes. But <laughs> um, I, I was thinking, we were talking last night and thinking over the last, well, uh, we moved six years ago this November, October, November, and we started the church five years ago this last Easter. And that's not very many years, you know, but it feels like we've lived 20 <laughs> in some respects down there because um, of the speed of which God is doing things. And we started with, I don't know, like a thousand dollars. I think we had some money given to us for the move and we started with a thousand dollars and just along the way it was either money that came or it was gifts, a coffee maker that was gifted to us or whatever have you and just watched the Lord take us from location to location and then um, a couple years ago we purchased, we started purchasing our first building and the Lord, I mean we are so blessed there but I don't think it's the end like as far as the even the place we're in, I think it's just part of what he's doing overall. And, but all of that being said, all of that's cool and everything or whatever, but that the most important thing that I really wanted to share with you this morning is the people, the family, your brothers and sisters, whose lives are being greatly affected in, in, in large part thanks to your church being faithful to give, um, to make it possible for Dan to be full-time at the church there. And um, I could tell you so many testimonies, but the one that comes to mind is the most recent. And that is that through this whole COVID thing, we are in partnership with several other churches in Ohio that span Ohio from each corner, really. And um, we do a, a youth camp. And as you know, our nation has shut all of that down. And um, we're part of that leadership team, and we just couldn't, we just knew we just needed to keep planning like we're going to have it. And I'm telling you, the fear of the Lord was honest to make that happen. And um, normally we, like last year, we had 400 people register with youth and leaders. And um, right up until a couple weeks before, we just had, you know, a couple hundred, but we didn't care. We didn't know we we're just going to go forward like we always do and trust the Lord. And the Lord made it possible for us to be there. And I'm telling you what, the whole the kids were hungry. The Holy Spirit fell. The enemy tried to attack. Even on Monday morning, the health department called three times with the camp to try to tell them what we had to do and change. And it didn't affect a thing. And we were able to move forward and, and trust God and watch him do amazing things at that camp. And by I was sitting in the admissions office, and by the time we were closing admissions, we were done with that part of it, we registered. We were at 398. We're all like, oh, 399. 400. 400 of us gathered in southern Indiana, because Ohio wouldn't have let us, so... 
uh, that's where we always have camp, but it's just the way God worked it out. And um, all, like, we just disconnected. 400 of us disconnected from the world, disconnected from news, disconnected from social media, and God moved. There was a young boy there who, um, I think he was in sixth grade, and he was running, was during worship, and he ran back to his youth pastor. He said, I want to get saved. He was like, okay. So they went to pray, and he prayed by himself. He didn't need anybody to pray with him. He just, in that same little boy, he only brought $10 to camp for snacks, and his friend wanted a Coke. And so the machine wasn't working, so he spent a dollar, and then he spent another dollar to make sure that he could get his Coke. And then he came to his youth pastor and said, I just, in tears, I just experienced God. I gave him the $2. I would walk in. I would be doing my behind-the-scenes stuff when I'd walk in to the side of the of the, sa- of the stage and the youth, and I would see everybody. I used to be, some teenagers would hang out in the back, but I'd see everybody, all hands toward God, just digging in. I'd walk in, and it would just fall, just tears, every service, just tears. We had 59 kids baptized. And the last little testimony from that, I hope I'm not going over the last little testimony from that, um, there was a young girl who's 17, I think, and in January, she was hanging out with some kids that were drinking and texting and driving, and they were in a car crash, and she was the only one hurt, but her face was torn off. She went through many surgeries at the beginning of this year, all through this COVID stuff, and she has a very large scar from here to here, And on Tuesday morning, the message came from one of our, our worship leader actually from near Cleveland, and she gave testimony, and her word, her message was to not let your scars define you, let his scars define you. And she went on, she was bawling, she was crying, she was touched. And that happened, I mean, the whole world was against that happening this summer. And it happened anyway. And so, anyway, I just wanted to share a little bit of what God's doing. And I'm not going to preach this whole time. I could, but you got it. Okay. That's really good. Um, Everybody give Erica a round of applause. Well, I am, we are really thankful to be here. Um, you know, I count it as a blessing to be able to, you know, share maybe something that God has put on my heart, um, you know, and uh, truth is uh, what God is doing in Marion is really important. What God is doing here is really important. It's all linked and I'm in total agreement with Erica. I don't know that we'd even be close to where we are today if it wasn't for you. You know, there's a lot of people in here that love us and that we love very dearly and, um, you know, we're just really really thankful to, to be right where we are. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for um, the ability to get together. We thank you for words from you that uh, as we uh, look into this Bible, that you can teach us something. And I pray that we'd have open ears to hear whatever it is that you want us to hear individually, and that you would use uh, me in whatever way possible and that the uh, good stuff from you would stick and everything that's just from me would go in one ear and out the other. And we would just uh, get a word from you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. So, um, 
you know, I was thinking about the Bible, right? Um, you know, a lot of things that we say about the Bible, you know, uh, like what is the Bible? Some people, it's like a nice little acronym, right? They say basic instructions before leaving earth. Anybody ever heard that before? Not a big fan of that, to be honest with you. Um, here's the reason is because it's not an instruction book. I've read instruction books before. They're boring. They're step-by-step. They're answers like to questions. You look it up and there's a glossary. And so this is a collection of stories and poems and letters that lead to Jesus. Uh, it's, it's not, um, it's, it's not an answer book in that way, you know, where you can just look up one thing. In fact, sometimes it even seemingly, and Sean talked about it a little bit this morning with that early uh, lesson, sometimes it can even seemingly, although it doesn't, sometimes it can even seemingly conflict with itself, you know. And we have to, like, wrestle with that and struggle with that, right? So, like, Ephesians Chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. And then James goes off, and he says, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith. Shoot. (laughs) What do I do do with that, you know? Um, It's it's why probably the greatest theologian since uh, Paul, uh, Martin Luther, when he came along the scene and he's studying everything, Martin Luther at one point says, maybe we should just get rid of the book of James out of the canon because it could make things a lot easier if we just got rid of James, you know. But I don't think that's what God wants to do. I think he wants to hold us in tension sometimes and hold us in a place where, like, we don't know what to do. I think, I think it's interesting. So I've been studying a lot in Genesis lately. I think it's interesting of all of the people of the ways that God could have identified his people. You know, he could have called them Abrahamites or something, you know. But Israel, you know, Israel, um, I think that means struggle with God, right? It's, that's, it's to wrestle with God. God seems to want us to wrestle with him. He seems to want us to kind of just figure it out, you know, in a way that, that makes us uncomfortable sometimes, you know. And so we, we realize that this, this is it's a collection of stories and poems and letters that's not even, you know, I wouldn't even say that the Bible is written to you as much as I would say it's written for you, right? Um, it, it is written for us, but it's not even written to us, right? Like, how does Luke start? Oh, excellent Theophilus, right? Um, are you, you know, is your name Theophilus? No, I mean, that book was not written to you, but yet it was written for you, right? So Timothy, who was Timothy written to? Timothy was written to Timothy to address specific issues that Timothy was dealing with in the church of Ephesus at that time, you know? So like one of the things that I don't know, people like to talk about is like how women shouldn't preach. And so I don't know what Erica was just doing up here, um, <laughs> you know, but uh you know, so so people take some stuff that Paul said to Timothy out of like just way out of context, right? So the church in Ephesus, this is this, you know, if you if you read in the book of Acts, there's this big riot and you know, they're running around chanting, Great is Diana of the Ephesians, and they're worshiping Diana. And it really it was uh, in Ephesus it was a women female led worship. Uh, that's the way it was. And in the temple, the, the women would, would chant uh, during worship, uh, you know, not worship of God, you know, of Jesus, but of Diana, the, the Ephesians. And so women led worship. And so they were really loud during worship. It's the way that they did it, you know. And so Paul comes along and he says, listen, I'm, I'm going to give you some instructions, you know, tell the women to be quiet during worship. 
you know, and that they don't have authority over a man, you know. And what is he saying? He's, he's not saying that, that men ought to be domineering over women. What he's saying is the old way that you used to do it, Timothy, the, the, in that area, the people that you're pastoring, the women did have authority over men. But I'm saying it's not that way here. And in fact, in Christ, there's not man or woman or Jew or Gentile or slave or free, but all are one in Christ, Right. And so when we, when we pick out like a single verse and we say, well, I'm going to build all of my theology around this one thing, it gets really dangerous because, like I said, the Bible's not written that way. It's written for us to struggle with, to read and to reread and to never fully comprehend. There is nobody that has perfect theology. Nobody. Nobody. There's not one person that, that has. But, but we all go to churches that do, right? Like, you know, like, have you ever been to a church that didn't have it all figured out, you know, or, or, or you have that idea, maybe you're having a conversation with somebody and they say, you know, well, what do you believe about so-and-so and your, your thought or their thought is like, well, I don't know, let me ask my pastor, you know, so I can tell you what I believe, <laughs> you know, right? Cause he's got it figured out, you know? Um, no, no, he doesn't. And, and you don't, and that's okay. And I don't know is an acceptable answer sometimes, um, and what we're pursuing is not perfect theology. What, per, what we're pursuing, hopefully, is a relationship with Jesus, right? And, um, and so when we look into Psalm 27, is what we're going to look at this morning, it's a chapter of the Bible that I've spent a lot of time on. And so what we're going to do is, I, I think what, what we'll do is I'll just read it, and then, um, and then we'll start jumping from screen to screen after that. So we just leave this up here. If you want to open up your own Bible, I'm reading out of the New King James. But, you know, whatever translation you have, they're all good enough. Um, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, though war may rise up against me. In this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn uh, your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me as such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord." So there it is. That's Psalm 27. So let's just go back, you know, to the very beginning and then we'll, we'll go through it. Um, I, I think that there's, I think this chapter, I think it could help you out a lot in your life. It certainly has helped me out a lot. And it reminds me of, some, I love baseball. And it's, it's, there's some similarities in other sports, but I think it's 
best understood in baseball. In other words, if, if you played before or you watched before, let's say you're playing shortstop and there's a guy on first and third and there's two outs, you know? And so you're thinking, if you're good, if you know what you're doing, <laughs> when, when the pitcher's pitching, you're thinking, okay, if it's a line drive to me, I do this. If it's hit to the second baseman, I do this. If it's hit on the ground to me, I do this. If it's hit to left field in the air, I do this. If it's a line drive to right field, I do this. If it's a pop fly in the foul, and there's like all of these, I'm going through all of these different scenarios in my head. So that way, the moment it happens, I've already decided what I need to do. That's why it's so frustrating to watch little kids play baseball, right? Because they'll run and they'll pick it up and they'll go like this and they'll look around and everybody will be screaming at them. You know what I mean? Like, throw it the first! Throw it the first! You know, and by the time they actually figure it out, you know, it's over. You know, they, you, if you don't make the decision before the ball gets to you, you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna do it, right? So you have to decide before the ball even gets to you, this is what I'm going to do. And I think Kylie talked about it this morning. It feels like it's been a common theme this morning is, is that, boy, tough times are gonna come. Trials, tribulations, difficulties are going to come your way. And we ought not to be just people that react to them, but that um, live our lives in such a way that we're ready, that we already, I've already put in the work. I already know what to do. I've already done what needs to be done so that I can respond to this correctly. And so I, I think that this is, this is really what, what this is. So first verse, verse one, you put it up on the screen. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Every fear, every single fear for the Christian is rooted in a lack of faith in the willingness or the ability of God. Is that my phone? That might be my phone. I just say that to make people feel better. It wasn't my phone. <laughs> it's happened to everybody. All right, Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Um, it's not my strength, right? The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If, if I'm afraid of anything, if I have any fear in me, I'm either, um, I either doubt the ability of God to do something about it or I'm doubting the willingness of God to do something about it. One or the other, you know? And, and I think at the, at the root of the beginning of all of this is, is the word my. Like, God doesn't have any grandchildren. Do you ever heard that phrase before, right? Um, you, you, cannot, you, you cannot access God through anybody. Um, God, the whole point of Jesus coming is so that you can have a personal relationship with him. And you ought to, right? And so if he's not my God, right? Right? If he's not, if he's not my God personally, then I got a problem, right? The sons of Sceva ran into this. You know, they tried to drive out the demons and they said, we, you know, we cast you out in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demons looked at him and said, well, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you, right? And then they beat him up. And I think a lot of people are getting beat up in life, right? Cause they're, you know, casting out this demon that I heard Pastor Sean talk about, you know, or whatever, you know, like, I, I don't, Right? It's got, it's got to be, it's got to be personal, right? The whole point of this thing is that it's personal. Um, it's, it's, that's just the way it's got to be. So, um, you know, and then he says, whom shall I fear? Um, what I'm seeing today in, in our world, maybe, you know, as much as I've ever seen it, and probably it's just God making me aware, but the fear of man is a real problem in the world that we're living today. 
Um, and, and I think that this psalm actually is the solution to the fear of man, right? Um, when I say the fear of man, what I'm saying is that I'm giving honor to a man that only God ought to give, you know? Um, the fear of God, the, my favorite definition, I think it was John Bevere that I heard say this. He said that when I have the fear of God, it means I love what God loves and I hate what God hates, right? That when I fear God, it means I love what he loves and I hate what he hates, um, it doesn't mean that I'm afraid of him, like, ah, you know, God's going to get me. But it's that fear of him. It's that honor. It's that respect. It's that reverence. And when I honor and I respect and I reverence man above God, then I'm in a really bad place. And I'm not going to be able to respond when troubles come my way. So the Lord is my light, my salvation. Uh, verse 2. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Um. There is a wickedness that exists in this world today, and it hates everything about you as an image-bearing um, human Christian believer in God, you know? Uh, you are everything that the devil hates, and um, he is wicked, and not only does he want to, you know, distract you and, and, and give you, but he wants to come against you to eat up your flesh, right? Like, this is, this is, he's, he's at, he's, he's being serious, whether you're serious or not, you know? And um, I mean, this isn't, for David, who wrote this psalm, this isn't just poetry, right? What did Goliath say to him? You know, he said, I'm going to feed your flesh, right? To the, to the birds, you know, like this is, David is battle tested, right? He has actually been through something and he has experienced this before. So when he's talking about this, this isn't just poetry where he's just sitting in a field thinking the enemies of, uh, you know what I mean? Like he actually experienced this. And then he says they stumbled and fell. And I think that that's important because when your enemies stumble and fall before you, you don't get any credit for that, right? You know, I mean, you didn't do anything. They just stumbled and fell, right? It's, it's God that for you. So verse 3, though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise up against me, in this I will be confident. So notice the progression here. So first of all, you've got David, and, uh, and he's in a place, and we know that this literally happened to him, where he's, he's in a place and he's seeing an army encamped against him, right? It's not like he just came upon this army and he's traveling and he sees this encampment. No, he is where he is and the army came to him and they are encamped against him, right? So he wakes up in the morning and he looks out of the trees or the bushes or whatever the situation is, you know, the cave, and he sees this army encamped against him. And then he says, my heart, my heart shall not fear. My heart shall not fear. So I don't have to put up a front Right? I don't have to pretend that I'm not afraid. In my heart of hearts, if I'm doing what this psalm tells me to do, my heart shall not fear. Right? Well, the progression is, so the enemy encamps against me, and then war rises up against me. Right? So it's not just, it's bad enough when they're encamped against you, but now they're coming at you. So war has risen up against you. And he says, in this, I will be confident. And that's how that verse ends. In this, I will be confident. And if you didn't know this chapter, and if you hadn't read it before, what might you follow up with that? You know, you might say something like, the battle belongs to the Lord, which is true. You know, you might say something, you know, in this, I will be confident. You know, God will take care of everything for me. You know, well, what is he, what's the next verse? Verse four, in this, I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You know, David and Moses and all the rest longed to live in the day that we live in today. You know, in fact, Moses one day says, you know, he's, he's almost complaining and he's because he's he's got the spirit of the Lord upon him kind of in spurts, if you can say it. And, and he says, man, if just imagine if all of the people could have what I have. What, what if everyone could prophesy like I can? What if everybody could have the spirit of the Lord upon him? That would just be, he's almost saying it like, like it's like just a pipe dream. Like, boy, that's just too much to even think about, you know? Because he's seeing that the strength that Moses has, he was, he's not better than the other Israelites. He's, he, he'd mess it up on his own. But it's because of the grace of God on his life, because the spirit of God that is, you know, completely carrying him through these situations, even when he messes up, he sees that that's the, the difference between him and everybody else. And he says, well, if everybody had this, then we should be, we'd be in a pretty good spot, you know? And, and David also is longing, and we see prophecies in, in, in the Psalms where David is longing to live in the day that we live in now, which is what happened when Jesus was crucified, right? The veil that separated the Holy Spirit, the presence of God from everything else, the temple veil, it was torn from top to bottom, right? That wasn't just like a destructive thing that God did. That was to signify that now God's presence is everywhere for everybody all the time, right? And it doesn't have to just rely on one person or a group of people. I don't have to go to a prophet or a priest or a king to get access to God. But I have access to God because he made it available to me, right? And so we got this army. It's encamped against him, and he says, in this I will be confident, right? In this I will be confident, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. We don't visit God's house. We don't visit God's presence. We dwell there. That's where we live. That's our home, right? We, we actually, um, if you could say it, uh, you know, in, in a way, we leave the house of God, right? We, sometimes we, we, we experience his presence. We know that God is omnipresent and he's everywhere. But, you know, if you spend any time with the Lord, you know that there are times in prayer and worship where it's like you're really feeling it and you're just in the presence of the Lord, but you can't stay there. You have to go out right into the world, right? But that's my dwelling place. That's where I live. That's not just a place that I visit. That's my dwelling place. I come back to it every single day. And so when I dwell in the house of the Lord, I can have confidence in the Lord. Um, and the, and the other thing is, he says, what, what is he doing in the house of the Lord? He's beholding the beauty of the Lord and he's inquiring. He's inquiring in his temple. You know, God is not afraid of a question. You know, he, it doesn't bother him at all. In fact, if you have a doubt in your mind, if there's something lingering and you're like, God, why, you know, if you're just, if you're just, something's rolling around in your head and you just don't understand why it is the way that it is, but you just feel like it would be a lack of faith to just even talk to God about it. God, I think would be telling you this morning, you know, I know what you're thinking anyway, you know, like you might as well just get it out and inquire at my temple, right? And come to me and say, God, why is this this way? I don't understand this. And sometimes God might give you a really clear answer. And sometimes you might not get anything right away. Sometimes it might take years. Sometimes you might open up your Bible and see something later. Or someone will talk to you or pray for you and you'll get an answer. Or sometimes you just kind of get down the road far enough. You're like, well, I guess that doesn't even really matter to me anymore. Like this thing that used to really bother me, it doesn't even, I don't even need an answer for it. It just doesn't even, doesn't even matter to me anymore. But, but God is not afraid of a question, you know. And I think we just, you know, going back to the, the, what the Bible is, 
there's just something about us that we just want to really kind of like tight theology, right? That I can just put it in a box and then I can just, I can get all of the answers or someone, maybe there's a course that I could take or is there a, like a Bible school that I could go to or is there something that I could do in which I could get all of the answers and then I got it and then I got it, I understand it and then I can just kind of move on and then I could just reference that for the rest of my life because I kind of like figured it out, you know? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It, good theology is always changing, and that might make you really nervous. And I understand it's it's a nerve it's a it's kind of a crazy thing to say, but 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 if it's not rooted, if it's not strong and can't weather the storm, well, then maybe it's not right. You know, I I think a good picture of a good system of belief is not an oak tree, right? If you think like a giant oak tree, it's majestic, it's beautiful, and, you know, we like to look at it and everything. But you know where you don't see oak trees? Is uh, at the beach in Florida. There are none. They don't exist there. Do you know why? They're too big. They're too rigid. Do you know what's all over the beach? Palm trees. Do you know what happens when a 100-mile-an-hour wind comes through the beach, a palm tree? The palm tree goes like this, and it just bends, Right? But then it comes back up when the wind stops because it's rooted, right? So our foundation, we're rooted in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, right? That, you know, the Godhead, like the love of God, the grace of God, there are some foundational rooted things that the Holy Spirit is available to help us, you know? Like all, all of these, all of these things, we've got some things rooted right in there so that we can weather the storm. But I think we've made sort of these glass houses or we've made sort of things that, that really matter to us. You know, as a pastor, sometimes people come to the church or they'll meet me and they'll, and they'll say, well, I just, I just want to go to a church where they really teach the word, you know, where they really teach the Bible, you know, like that's really important to me. I'm like, I've never met a pastor who's like, well, that's not important here. You know what I mean? Like everybody says, right? Everybody says it's important. And what they mean is, and I have to talk to them long enough to find out what they're talking about, is that they usually have one or two pet doctrines, things that are really important to them, that they want to find out what you believe about that thing. <laughs> well, what do you believe about this? Or what do you believe about that? And I give rather unsatisfying answers to those questions. I'll say things like, well, I don't know what you believe, you know? Okay. Well, why do you believe that? You know, what's your, well, that's interesting. I think we got some people here that agree with you about that, you know? What do you think? Ah, it's complicated, isn't it? You know, <laughs> right? Because I don't, I don't have all the answers, right? Now there are some things that obviously I'd be like, okay, this is this is obvious. But that gets back to that kind of rooted thing, you know. God's not afraid of questions. It's okay to kind of say, well, I don't know about this, and and if I put it up to the test and it falls down, well, maybe I don't know, maybe maybe I need to adjust the way that I'm thinking about it. Remember, because the Bible is, it's God didn't God didn't give us an instruction book, right? It's not a glossary of answers to, to pull from like that. You know, that's what we want, right? We, I mean, Paul didn't even do that for us. Did you ever think about why didn't Jesus ever write anything down? He was certainly literate, like he could have. Couldn't he have just said, listen, this is just, you just all believe this. And, and this is, here's like a 10 page, just, you know, we'll put it on our website. It's what we believe, you know what I mean? And, and then we can all just agree on that. Like Jesus really easily could have done that. It would have been really simple for him to do. Would not have been difficult. But instead he said, no, I want you to be immersed in these stories. 
I want you to be soaked in scripture. I want you to sing these songs. I want you to read these letters that were written 2,000 years ago from somebody you didn't know to a group of people that you don't know. Well, God, that's kind of confusing to me, you know? Like, can you just spell it out a little clearer? I don't know. Maybe if I was God, I would have, but thank God I'm not, you know? This is... This is what he gave us, right? And so we got to struggle with it. And we got to see some characters in our Bible. Sometimes I thought, well, I thought Abraham was a good guy, but he's doing some bad stuff, you know? Or I thought, well, this doesn't make sense. Or, or when it seems like Paul and James are disagreeing, what do I do with that, you know? And so we go to these great lengths to, to, to explain things and to make answers out of things that, that we just don't often know. You know, and God's saying, just seek me, seek my face, seek relationship with me, inquire at my temple, and you might get satisfactory answers and you might not, but that's okay because the goal is not perfect theology. There's no, you know, when you die, it's not like you go to whatever St. Peter at the pearly gates and he's like, we just got a short exam for you to take. And um, it's multiple choice, it's real simple, but. Uh, you're just going to have to pass it, you know, because we want to know that you believe just the right way, you know, and you're like cheating off of the guy next to you, you know, <laughs> right? That's not how it is. Even even the question, well, like, how do I get to heaven? Like, would, can you just tell me, like, what, what's the bare minimum, which is always a hilarious question. Like, what's the least I can do and still, you know, be a Christian, you know? Um, you know, s- you know, sometimes the Bible say, well, just believe. There it is. Just believe, you know, and then and then sometimes we'll believe and be baptized. And then another time it says, well, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead. You will be saved. Well, which is it? You know, so I got to make sure to do all of them. And I got to make sure I remember the first time I ever led somebody to the Lord. I've never been so nervous in my life because I thought that I was going to like say it wrong and they're going to repeat after me. And then they're going to get to heaven one day and God was going to be like, ah, oh, I was there when you prayed that, but you missed you got it. I mean, it was close. It was real close. It, you know, it's, it doesn't, that's not how it works, right? God's not afraid of questions. He's okay with that. But he says, the one thing, the one thing that I've desired, not the top thing, not the most important thing. It's the one thing that I've desired. It's not the number one thing that I've desired. One thing I've desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, Right? To be in his presence. That's it. God doesn't, he's, he's not a taskmaster, right? He's not, he's not, he's not difficult to please. He's so pleased with you. And he's not angry at you. You know, he's not frustrated with you. He loves you and he wants relationship with you. Right? And the answer to all of this is relationship with him. To pursue what he went so you know, went to, went to such great lengths to give to us, which is his presence, which is his face we're going to talk about in a second. That's what he wants. We seek him. The only reason we seek him is because he's seeking us. You know, that there's that Bible verse that says, um, it says um, that we love God because he first loved us. And I used to be like, well, that's kind of selfish, isn't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? I love God because he first loved me. Well, first of all, yes, it, uh, we are selfish people. Um, and so maybe, maybe it is selfish, but it's also the way it is. But secondly, we wouldn't even know what love was if God hadn't showed it to us. So how could we ever love God? Because God is love, right? So, 
You know, it's, it's just the way that it works. But, but we seek God because he has already sought us. Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 11 says, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search out for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day, he is among the scattered sheep. So I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. You know, God is seeking you out. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro over the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are loyal to him. You know, that means, gosh, I, I think you might see people in eternity that you're like, I, I didn't know you were going to be here, you know, because God, he went, he went, he went to a long way. I mean, he did a lot to make sure that you can have a relationship with him, you know? Um, verse five, we're going to, Go faster here. This is, I'm condensing a lot. Uh, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Um, so when trouble comes, what does God do? He hides me in his pavilion. Okay, that makes sense to me. Okay, so trouble, trouble comes. And then so he says he's going to hide me in his, in his, okay. So God's going to find some, you know, Somewhere to put me underneath some sort of like in cave or under something. He's going to dig a hole so that I can hide away. But that's not what it says at all, is it? He's going to set me high upon a rock. So what's, what is it? Is he going to hide me or is he going to set me high upon a rock? Which is it? Cause I don't know. Like if I'm going to, if I'm, I'm a pretty good hide and seek player now as good as I used to be. Put on a couple LBs that make that <laughs> difficult. But, um, you know, you never go to the highest place on top of a rock to hide. You go to the place where nobody, nobody can see you. But yet, this is the way that God does it. And I think we're going to see it here. Um, I want to read Psalm 37. I'm going to go as fast as I can. I heard Sean preach this morning. He was fast, so I can be fast too, right? You guys are good listeners. Um, uh, 34 verse 7 of Psalm says, um, the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, and I won't get into it, encamps all around those who fear him, and he delivers them, right? So if there's an enemy encamped around me, I don't have to worry, because as long as I'm walking in the fear of the Lord, and I love God, and I put him first, then he is surrounding me, right? It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by him, Right? So I don't have to be afraid. You know, there's that phrase that, you know, people say, well, don't, you shouldn't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. It's ridiculous. In fact, the most heavenly minded people are of the most earthly good, you know, because the whole point, the whole point of everything, I'm going to keep on doing that. The whole point of everything is that heaven and earth come together, right? What did Jesus tell us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? That's what he wants. So if there's something happening on earth that isn't happening in heaven, then it's not his will right here. And so heaven and earth need to overlap even more and more and more and more. And everywhere I go, because I'm a carrier of the presence of God, I'm bringing his presence with me. And so I'm bringing heaven to earth every single place that I go. And so I'm going to be so heavenly minded that I can uh, help redeem the earth. Right? I can institute the victory that God won. Right? Because just because the, the, the war is over doesn't mean the fighting is over, right? Because sometimes somebody will win a war, but then they're still like, why are we still fighting over there? I thought, the, I thought we won. Well, that's because it's just the way it goes. So you got to still advance the kingdom, 
right? Just because they're defeated, right? And so that's what we're doing as believers. Um, and so we ought to be heavenly minded in the very best sense of the word. Verse six, and now my head shall be lifted up above all my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So here it is. He lifts my head up, right? My head should be lifted up above my enemies all around me. So this is the picture that I have. So God wants to hide me, but there's this fog. I don't know if you've sensed it, but you know, in the world today, all times, there's just this fog of confusion and doubt and fear and worry and hate and all everything awful, right? And God lifts us high upon a rock and we're lifted above the fog. That's the way I see it. And so everybody down there is just in that, right? And I'm lifted up above it, right? And God lifts me up and in his presence, now I can see everything clearly, Oh, it makes sense now. That's why if you've ever been having a conversation with somebody and you're like, I'm right and you're wrong, why don't you agree with me? You know what I mean? Because this makes perfect sense. It's probably because they've not done this. And so they're in that fog, right? And they just don't, they can't see. And even though you're right, who cares, right? Because they don't need to be right. They need to be delivered. They need to be, they need to experience the presence of God, which is the greatest gift that he ever has given us. And then he says, I'll offer sacrifices of joy. Um, that, you know, joy is most powerful when it's a sacrifice. Uh, it's not burying your head in the sand. It's letting his perspective become your perspective. It's not fake. It's not phony. It doesn't have to be, it, but, but, but it, it is most powerful when it's a sacrifice. When you're deciding, you're choosing joy, you can choose joy. I've seen it done. I've done it myself. I've seen people go through horrific things and choose joy in the middle of it. Doesn't mean everything's perfect. Doesn't mean all their problems are solved. No, not at all. But they're choosing, choosing joy. Verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. You know, Jesus warned his disciples and anyone that would listen not to pray in a way that they're only praying so that people can hear them. I hate it, like, because sometimes I'll go to, like, these uh, prayer gatherings, like, in the city and stuff like that, and I'll have the different pastors get up and pray, and then I'll pray, and whatever, and someone will come. It's like, well, that was a, man, Dan, that was a really beautiful prayer, you know? And I'm always a little bit like, ah, I wasn't praying to you. I don't care what you think about it. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't, you know, like, I, you know, but I don't know about you. I don't like to be critical of anybody in particular, but have you ever seen anybody pray? And you're like, I don't know if you're talking to God or if you're just preaching to everybody or what's happening here, but... But, but David here is saying, hear, O Lord, I'm crying with my voice. I'm talking to you. I'm not saying this so that anybody else can hear it. I don't care what anybody else thinks. This is, this is you. This is David saying, you know, I, I, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm praying out to you with my voice. And then he said in verse 8, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Too many people, too many people, too many people are seeking his hand and not his face. You know? They're just seeking what God can give them, you know? Um, and, uh, and then once they get what God, you know, gave them or what they wanted from him, then they're not interested anymore, right? He said, and, and he said, when you, when you, the heart of God is seek my face and the heart of a God-fearing person responds, Lord, your face I will seek. At the very beginning, in, look it up in Genesis 3, 8 and then Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5, the whole Bible, the whole story of humanity is told in, in the fact that we lost the presence of God. So when the Bible talks about the face of God, it is talking about the presence of God. And 
Adam and Eve were banished from his presence, banished from the face of God. And then Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, when everything is wrapped up, when it's all said and done, what are we given access to? The face of God again, the presence of God again. That's what this whole thing is about, is to bring us back to his face. So why don't we seek his face? We don't seek his face because we focus oftentimes over, um, we, we focus on our sin over his mercy and grace. And that will always cause us, cause us to do what Adam and Eve did and hide our face. When he said, seek my face, my response was, was Lord, I'll seek, you. I'll seek you, right? But Adam and Eve, he's saying, where are you? you know? And they hid from him because of what? Because of their sin. Because they were so focused on their sin and they weren't focused on a God of grace and mercy. Grace means that God gives you something that you don't deserve. Mercy means that God doesn't give you what you do deserve right? So mercy is when God doesn't give me what I actually deserve, and his grace is when he gives me what I don't deserve, right? This is not about you being good enough. This is about the way God set things up. Verse 9, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me or forsake me, O God of my salvation. (laughs) I mean, if you were at a prayer meeting and somebody prayed that out loud, you'd be like, dude, cool it. Like, don't talk like that. You shouldn't, you can't pray like that. You know, don't you know that I think David's being honest before God. I think David saw, so, so this is where context comes in because, so David saw King Saul, he, he, he watched it happen where he, he had the presence of God on him and from disobedience, the presence of God left. And David's like, I don't want that to happen to me. I saw it happen to King Saul. I don't want that to happen. Do not, don't, don't take your presence from me. I need it, right? And David in his, you know, stupid mistakes that he made over and over again knew that that was like on the table <laughs> for him. Like that was a possibility, you know, but he's, this is his cry. This is his heart's cry. Lord, you're all that matters. Verse 10, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. We're living in a world and there are people here this morning. There are those of you who your parents have forsaken you, a mom or a dad or both, you know, and you feel left out. You feel alone. But this, the good news is that God never forsakes you. And even the best human parent can only fulfill part of what God can do. You know, everybody messes up. My parents weren't perfect. Your parents aren't perfect. You're not going to be perfect parents. You know, but we are, what we're teaching our kids to do, what we should be, is teaching them to seek his face. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. A smooth path path is a stable place to stand. Enemies are watchful foes, right? The, the, the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, right? Um, God's, God's way doesn't avoid the enemy. When God's leading you, it's not always just to avoid the enemy, right? Because he knows that the battle's already won. You already have the power. Like sometimes you're going after the enemy. I remember um, I played baseball. I played football briefly. It's the only sport my parents ever let me quit because I think my dad didn't want me to get hurt playing that. Um, and then I couldn't play baseball, I think is what, what the deal was. But uh, I remember I was playing safety. It was the second day of practice. And there's this guy running. His name was Justin. And he was a grade older than me in eighth grade, had a full beard, full beard. And um, he, he held our junior high record in shot put and the 100-meter dash, okay? So this is who this person is. He's, he's a freakish human being, you know what I mean? 
and I'm playing safety, you know what I mean, in pads that are too big, and I'm out there, you know, and, and I have visions of whatever Ohio State football in my head, and, I'm, and, and he breaks through the line, just like he always did, and then he's running, and normally what a running back does is he then runs away from the defense to the touchdown. Well, Justin was not interested in that. He wanted blood. So he broke through the defense, and then he looked around, and he looked at me, the defender, and he ran after me. I'm like, this is not how this works. I was going to let you go. It's f-. And he ran over me, and I had a giant cleat mark on my arm, and he just pummeled me, you know, because he was not afraid of me. He knew. Like, I got everything on this guy. Like, I'm not, and I think God does that with us sometimes. He leads us right into the one that's trying to tackle us, bring us down, because, you know, he's got all the power, the victory's his. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you, right? So it's not about avoiding the enemy. Um, you know, he's seeking us out. We got just a couple more verses, then we'll quit. Levi, why don't you come up and play as we close? Verse 12, do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me, such as breathe out of violence. This is not, once again, it's not a lack of faith, but it's a recognition of an absolute dependence upon God. And I want to say something about this verse. No man, no man, no human being is your enemy. In fact, I want you to do something for me. I did this earlier today. It made me uncomfortable. So close your eyes. I think I want you to think of the one person. Maybe it's somebody you know. Maybe it's like a relative or a neighbor. Or maybe it's a politician or somebody like that that you feel when you see their face or hear their name that you feel hatred rise up towards that person. I'm not saying you hate that person, but you know, man, I'm really struggling with hatred towards this person. Maybe it's somebody in the news media. Maybe it's, I don't know. And I want you to think about the way that God views that person. That they're every bit as valuable and worth the blood of Jesus. And that person is not your enemy. That person is not your enemy. Your enemy, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That is a person that you are called to pray for. In fact, that hate is passion. That hate is perverted love. You are passionate about that person because that's the person, that's the face that came to you. And you actually have the love of God that's been perverted for that person, and it's come out as hate. And God's saying, that person is not your enemy. And so you're called to pray for that person and seek their well-being and their welfare. Okay, you can open up your eyes. This is, it's closing down. It's getting good. He said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I love this verse. I say it all the time. I, I'd have lost, I'd have given up unless I would have believed that I would see the goodness of God one day, you know, on a, you know, mansion in heaven. <laughs> you know, no, like the goodness of God while I'm in the land of the living. I'd have given up. I'd, I'd, have, I'd have thrown in the towel. But I knew that God was going to come through, like in this life today. And he wants us on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. God, your will be done in Billings as in heaven. God, your will be done in Marion, Ohio as in heaven. And then he ends and he says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He'll strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is not sitting back and twiddling your thumbs. It is seeking him in prayer and worship. It is seeking him in prayer and worship. In fact, you know, waiting can actually be, even in English, can be a verb, right? If I'm, I'm going to go out to eat, right? I want my waiter 
to be waiting on me actively, right? When my, you know, iced tea gets down to this low, I want him to be right on top of it, you know? When my dishes need to be cleared or what, you know? Like when, you, when you're waiting on somebody, you're serving them, you know? And so waiting on the Lord isn't just, I'm just going to sit in my prayer closet until things get better and every once in a while I'll poke my head out and say, well, still bad, you know? I'll just keep on waiting, you know? God's saying, no, waiting on the Lord means uh, pursuing him in his presence. And I really think, I, I, you know, I, I, there's a lot I left unsaid today. But, but what I hope I did was inspired you to maybe make Psalm 27 your own in the way that it is my own, you know? And um, to, to realize that we can pick apart the verses, and that's fun and interesting. But the overarching idea of that chapter, and I think the whole Bible, is the presence of God that you were created for. And in the presence of God, um, everything just melts away. You know, uh, worries and fears and dreams and things that you used to think were important aren't just, they're just not important anymore. And even the good stuff, you know, that you thought was so important. I had to have this. This was so important to me. You know, my church needed to grow, right? And God wants my church to grow. That's a good thing, right? whatever, your business or your ministry or whatever it is, God said all that stuff just melts away in his presence and you're just with him, you know, and you're just spending time with him and you're seeking his face. You, you, don't, you don't even have to have, boy, you, you don't even have to have like a Bible reading plan that you just check off every day. If you're that kind of person and that's fun for you, that's great. But, um, you know, you're not reading it for anybody's benefit, other than you trying to get to know God better. I want to be soaked in this scripture. And so if I find myself um, stuck on Psalm 27 for a year, well, then I'll be stuck in Psalm 27 for a year, you know? And I'll just keep on, that's enough, you know? I'm not doing it to earn his favor. I already have his favor. I'm doing it because I love him, because I want to seek his face. And that's where the real joy is, you know? And they won't, it'll just be the way I live, you know, and the, the word peace was used a few times, I think, this morning, too. You know, biblical peace is not just the absence of war. Biblical peace means um, that everything is the way it's supposed to be, that things are healed, things are um, brought together, you know, and that things are messed up, but peace brings everything together the way it ought to be, you know, and, and that's what God wants for you, and it's only found in his presence. It's only found in his presence, you know, and when you pursue his presence, than everything else, what everybody else thinks, the fear of man, all that stuff. It doesn't really matter anymore. You know, your theology. I, I just, I can't, I just, last night I probably woke up 20 times. and just kept on thinking about this idea about perfect theology, you know, and how love just always ought to triumph over that. You know, Paul, Paul, Paul dealt with this himself. He said, you know, uh, some of you are aware that you don't have to eat like a Jew anymore, you know, and you know that, and that's true. And in fact, Jesus paid a price so you wouldn't have to do that. But if you're around them and it bothers them, just do what they do. It's okay. And, you know, if we were there, we could be like, Paul, don't you understand? This is like a really big deal. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? They, they, this is like, and we could explain all the theological significance of it. And Paul's like, ah, just, you know, it's okay. Just, that's all right. You know, just, just, you know, when you're with the Jews, just kind of be like the Jews. And when you're with the Romans, kind of be like the Romans. Because love's kind of more important than all of that. It's all about relationship, you know. So... Um, I have a lot more to say, but I'm already 16 minutes over uh, what I said I was going to do. So I'm going to give it to Sean and uh, take it from there.
Amen. Well, is that good or what? Why don't you stand with me this morning? We'll wrap this up. I uh, The thought that kept coming to me uh, during the message was thinking about, uh, you know, because Paul said, we look through a glass darkly. And there isn't anybody that has perfect theology. It doesn't exist. Not here. And uh, sometimes people think, well, yeah, I got it. And you're the one that needed to hear that. Um, and that's not even a joke. You might as well laugh, but it's the truth. But uh, really, if you think about Jacob, what did Jacob do? He wrestled with until he was what? Marked. Until he was marked by God. And I know people that, like, I, I think about the different ministers and ministries that I've listened to through the years, and, and um, me and Dan have different flavors, different ways of doing things. Me and Mike do. You go on and on and on. You know, you have Robbie Zacharias, you have uh, Kenneth Copeland, you have, but, you know, there's one thing about a minister that you listen to, and it really grabs your attention. You know they've wrestled with him, and you know that what? They've been marked by him. How many appreciate Smith Wigglesworth reading after him in his miracles? How many appreciate Billy Graham? Mark. There's a mark. And that's what, I believe that's part of what you're saying. You know, um, that's what was coming to me is this idea of, I could sit in Psalms 27 and come up with things that the Lord showed me that may, uh, it wouldn't be contradictory, but it's like, wow, I never saw it like that before. Because the word of God is like a mountain, depending on where you're standing, the mountain appears different. And Brother Hagin taught us that when we were at school. So as you're fellowshipping with the Lord, use your faith, but just stay after it. I loved it. I love that. Stay after it. If you're stuck in Psalms 27, stay in Psalms 27. If you're stuck somewhere, but wrestle with God in a, you know, in a, in a, uh, you know, my son will do this. He'll come up to me and just start hitting me. You know, not that I'm saying you should do that to God, but or that he's. <laughs> but what is he? What's he doing? He wants me to what? Engage him back, right? Okay. So it's the same thing with God. You do the same thing. Amen. You engage him, and he will change you. And the closer you get to him, the less divisive your thoughts will be. Amen. The less, I'm talking about in the church, you won't, you don't get close to God and increase in contention among your brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't happen. You say, well, that's happening to me. That's because you're not fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. I said, that's because you're not fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. Amen. How many know there's no Baptist side of heaven? Well, don't go over there. Why? That's where the Methodists are. <laughs> That's where the Lutherans are. The Lutherans? Yeah, they've taken over that whole portion of heaven. No. We are children of God, born again by the blood and body of Jesus Christ. Amen? If you need prayer in here today, don't leave without it. There'll be altar care workers on both sides. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, especially online, contact us. We'll, we'll be in contact with you. Um, but if you need prayer in here for anything at all, feel free to come. If not, hey, God bless you guys. Have a great week. Amen. We'll see you Wednesday night for youth group. Youth. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. 
If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com. 